greatest symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. to the Hogan Era Podcast right here on the two-man power trip of wrestling feed. I am, of course, your host, JP John Paz. Now, today on the Hogan Era Podcast, we want to talk about the beginning of the Hogan Era, but more specifically, the Iron Sheik, the man from Tyran, Iran, the big villain back in the early 80s, especially with everything that was going on politically and in the world with Iran and all the terroristic activities and all their just absolutely uh, heelish nature of Iran just in general in that era. So for Sheik to play this character from Iran, well, he really is from Iran, but to play this character really kind of pumping up his roots and really playing into the anti-patriotism at the time, it was just really one of those things where it's like they could never do that today. Because you saw what they tried with Muhammad Hassan, and that got nixed. Obviously, a lot of other things happened there as well. I'm not going to get into that. But it wasn't going to happen today that happened back then with Iron Sheik. I mean, they, he was legitimately hated. I mean, if you think about great heels and what it takes to be a great heel, fully invested, didn't care to get booed, didn't care if there was people throwing stuff at him, didn't care if he might create a near riot. He was just one of those heels, old school style, that just loved being a heel. So when you think about Iron Sheik and you think about this time in wrestling and you think about the early 80s, I even want to start before we kind of get into the Hogan era, the lead into the Hogan era. Let's talk about the late 70s. What happens there is a big, well, not, not a big boom period, but a big change period for the WB. You had Bruno as champ. Then you have superstar Billy Graham, and you think like, okay, Billy Graham maybe should get a, a big-time run. Maybe he is the next face of wrestling. It is completely different than what we saw from Pedro Morales when he had his 1,000-day title reign, even before him when Bruno San Martino had his 2,800-plus-day title reign. It's just it's a completely different era. You had these two, two big-time faces, obviously of ethnic descent, San Martino, was getting that Italian crowd. Then you had Pedro Morales, who was getting that Spanish crowd. It was a completely different kind of world back then. And the way wrestling was, it was very ethnic centric. So you figure, okay, you got Bruno, who obviously beat Buddy Rogers, who was the initial champion. Then you got Ivan Koloff, but he's only champ, transitional champ for 21 days. Then you have Pedro Morales, who's champ for over a thousand days. 
So then when he loses, you get another transitional champ in Stan Stasiak. Then, of course, Bruno wins the title again in 73. He holds it for about 1,200 days or so. And then you see a change. You say, okay, that's like the pure ethnicity. That's the pure baby face. Superstar Billy Graham, when he upsets Bruno and beats him, you're thinking, okay, this is going to be a huge title run. This is the shift in the business. This is going to be the change. It's going to be that kind of anti-hero style. I mean, he was over. He was hated sometimes, but then he was kind of over. He was that, that first really cool heel, that first guy that on the mic that you're just like, man, whatever he's saying, I'm just going to copy it, imitate it, which has been copied and imitated by many people. Scott Steiner, Hulk Hogan, who uh, the name of the podcast is from, copied off of from Jesse the Body Ventura. So, I mean, that style obviously resonated with more people that wanted to become wrestlers and were in the business and wanted to become bigger stars than, than anybody. So he was kind of that shift or you thought that shift that, that they were going to go with and they were going to go away from that long baby face run as champion. But superstar Billy Graham is really only champ for 300 days. I know you're thinking like that that's a long time today. That's a phenomenal reign. But back then when you got 1200 day title runs and 2000 day title runs, not that great. And it's one of the things where it's like, wow, I think maybe they should have maybe turned superstar Billy Graham baby face and made him the face of the company and launched it into the direction that they did with the Hulkster, which I'm going to get into in a minute. But on February 20th, 1978, Bob Backlund comes into play here at MSG and he beats superstar Billy Graham then, which was kind of shocking because if you think about it, it's like, man, what are they doing here? This white meat baby face. There was a rumor at the time that maybe Steve Kern was going to be the guy that, that Vince Sr. was going to make the face of the company. But Vince Sr. was dead set on having the pure baby face as his champion. And he wanted to have a long run. It worked for him in the past. It's going to work for him again, but he's going to change it. And he's just going to have this pure white guy be the, the, the face of the company rather than go with the total ethnic guy in the total ethnic background. So you have superstar Billy Graham. He loses to Backlund. Backlund ends up holding the title for 2,100 plus days. And he has this big, big title run. And it's a phenomenal thing because Vince McMahon senior would not give up on Backlund. The thing with him is he always had strong undercards. You go back and look under the cards. He always, either he had dusty coming in from Florida doing main events and shots and have a few with superstar Billy Graham, or he had other main guys on the card. It always seemed that Backlund had a strong undercard and maybe it wasn't necessarily carried by him as the champion. So obviously if you have a 200, or excuse me, 2000 plus day title run, you must've been doing something good and it's something positive and, Obviously, there must have been some reason, right? Right, why they want to keep you as champion. So he was doing enough business to keep Vince Senior happy, but it was one of those things where Vince was almost forcing the issue a bit. And yes, they were doing good business, and yes, there's popular, but would it have been more popular? Would they have done more business if Superstar Billy Graham maybe turned face and was the champion for an extended period of time? I don't know. It's it's, it's hard to say. I, I would lean towards yes, but you'd never know. Backlund, huge legend, you know, awesome wrestler, great guy. One of those guys you can, quite frankly, to me, never forget. Almost underrated in a certain aspect because if you're holding the title that long in the biggest company in, in the world, biggest wrestling company in the world, that says something. And it's 2,000-plus day title reign is just impressive as hell. So, man, you got to give it up to Backlund. But in one instance, you have to think that what if? What if Superstar kind of maintained the title? Would we ever even have seen a guy like Hogan come along? We don't know. But the thing is here, and what I want to get to and what the episode is about, the Iron Sheik. Just kind of had to give a little background leading up to Sheiky Baby coming in. So the Iron Sheik comes into the WWF 
and he is the huge heel. Like I mentioned before, he's very much into Iran, the bodyguard for the Sheik, and, and all this other stuff that's kind of his background as far as just him really playing up that he's this, this big heel. He legit does have that background, and he legit was you know, a bodyguard, and he does have amazing wrestling credentials. Pan Am Games, the gold medal there, just being an unbelievable freak athlete, the freak strength, the great look, the awesome tights, the unbelievable boots that nobody can ever forget. If you see the hook on those boots, the only one guy comes to mind, and that's Sheik. Automatically, boom, you think of the Iron Sheik, which is really cool. So with Sheiky Baby, he comes in, and you're thinking, okay, Backlund, you know, maybe ho-hum another day at the office for him, just going to keep his title reign running. But no, December 26, 1983, at MSG, Iron Sheik wins the WWF world title, submitting Bob Backlund to the camel clutch. What happened was Arnold Skolan, who was Bob Backlund's manager, ends up throwing in a towel to prevent a major injury happening because Backlund wouldn't give up, wouldn't pass out. He's trying to stay alive, but he couldn't get out of the camel clutch. So great way to end that and keep him strong and get rid of the, the t- or get the title off of him is to really throw in the towel. And which was definitely different, definitely cool. And it definitely kept Backlund strong. And it kind of just was like, okay, this is the end of the Backlund era. This is the end of, of that era for sure. But where do we go from here? Iron Sheik absolutely hated brutal, vicious heel, especially in that time when, and even today, I know everyone is still, or a lot of people still anti-Iran for obvious reasons. But at that point, this was at the, the high point of hating that region and hating that country. Iron Sheik was the perfect champion to take the belt off back and really get a big buzz going. Because you're thinking to yourself, man, this guy is such a damn villain. Like, you, you hate, you just hate this guy. There's no likable characters and nothing to really say, oh, yeah, but he's a cool healer or anything like that. No, he, he's just absolutely hated. So if you think about it, good way to get title off back and keep him strong, but it makes Sheiky Baby look very strong in winning the title in that fashion. Nobody can break the camel clutch. He's the champion. He's going to hold the belt for a long while, but whoa, 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 hold your horses there. As the Iron Sheik is about to face Hulk Hogan. And now this is what I really say is the start of the Hogan era. I know earlier in 1984, in, obviously earlier in January of 1984, Hogan comes in and he's the partner for Backlund. So that kind of was against Tiger Chung Lee and Mr. Fuji. And that sets up the the basically the return of the Hulkster and, and his foray back into the WWF after being gone for a, a quite a bit of time, spending a lot of that time and a good chunk of the time in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So he comes back to the team. And of course, not, can not obviously mention the AWA as well as where, where Hulkamania really blew up. But in this essence here, so he spends time in New Japan. He becomes this monster baby face as the Hulkster, as Hulk Hogan, the Hulkamaniac, the Hulkamania era, as we all know. We have the AWA. You have the stuff in New Japan. He goes back to the WWF. Vince McMahon obviously likes him more than his father. His father did not want him to do Rocky Three. Well, Vince McMahon thought that was a, a great thing that he did, Rocky Three, because if you look at the attention that he got from it, became mainstream because of it. Thunderlips became just a huge, huge name, you know, in everyone's household. Everyone knew Rocky Three. Uh, everyone knew Thunderlips. Everyone knew Hulk Hogan. It just was nothing but a positive. So I don't know what Vince McMahon Sr. was thinking, 
possibly being a little crazy at that point. But so you got the Hulkster coming back to WF in the 84. Like I said, he teamed with Backlund earlier in the month. Then comes a possible rematch on July, excuse me, January 23rd, 1984 with Backlund and Sheik. But Backlund is injured. He can't have the match. Hogan is the replacement. So when you think about it, it's like, wow, okay, Hogan's going to come in, but can this guy do it? It was, I mean, it's a little bit of fanfare, but it wasn't like this huge big time push. I mean, he's only been back in the WWF at this point for about 23 days. So it's not like this gigantic thing where it's like, okay, he beat this guy, this guy, this guy, and they established him and he's coming back. No, he just had that style, that charisma. People obviously had the buzz a little bit from the AWA. Everyone kind of was loving him and loving the charisma, loving the look, loving the size. This 300-pound monster that just uh, looked like a god, a god, like Greek god, just huge. And he's going up against Sheiky Baby, replacing Bob Backlund. So it's already at a fever pitch at MSG. They're already hating Sheik. They already want the Hulkster to beat Sheiky Baby. And we're going to have a cut to a clip right here in about a second of the Sheiky Baby versus Hulk Hogan. And this is really where the Hogan era starts. And I said this on the first episode, and I've said it in a few episodes since, but this is where I start as the start of the Hogan era. I know people say the golden era is when Vince takes over, Vince Jr. takes over from his father and really kind of starts it in 82 and 83, and that's the golden era beginning period. But it doesn't get to the high points. It does, obviously, as you could tell, and you know why we're doing the show as when the Hulkster kind of comes off and Hulkamania begins. So this is the beginning of the Hogan era. This is the beginning of Hulkamania. This is the start of it all. January 23rd, 1984, MSG, Iron Sheik versus the immortal Hulk Hogan. This is the main event. It is for the World Wrestling Federation championship scheduled for one fall with a one hour time limit introducing first the challenger from venice beach california weighing 303 pounds the incredible
Hawks into the corner. Nobody home. Hulk Hogan hit that turnbuckle head. Hulk Hogan, I'm amazed how quickly he moves for a big man. Sheep now going to work. Got his man in a compromising position and he's putting a boots to it. Down in that kidney area and the noise is deafening here in Madison Square Garden. As the chant goes out, USA. Sheep going for a slam, gets him up. No, backbreaker. Down for the cover. No way. Sheik's still on the offense. Hogan's had his worst kick right in the throat. Uh-oh. Sheik doing something to that boot. Don't know what it is. He's come up with so many things over the years. Loaded it up somehow. Planted it right in that kidney area, and it took its toll. The Hulk now is in trouble. Sheik going here for a Boston Crab. He's got him over. Boston Crab really bearing down. Referee Dick Lutz should be out in front asking him. This is a submission hold. coming up. He oh. got that big 305 pounds over and down for the cover. No, oh. he got an arm up. Boy, that was close. Boots in the kidney again. Now he's going for it. Camel Clutch coming up. Yes, he's got it. He's got it. No one has been able to escape that. Look at that. The sheep really pulling on that chin of the hole. The Hulk's got to come out of it. If not, it's over.
champions, the winner of this bout, and new World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion, the incredible Hulk Hogan! Madison Square Garden has won on their feet as Hulkamania has taken over. Stay with us, wrestling fans. History being made tonight. Stay with us, wrestling fans. We'll be right back as Hulk Hogan crowned the new heavyweight champion. And just like that, with the eye of the tiger hitting, the Hulkster is the new WWF World Heavyweight Champion. And you think about it, it's like, oh, man, what a moment. Do you know at this point it's the start of something? I think you get that feeling because what Gorilla Monsoon says, you know, the Hulkamania has begun. Like the era has begun. The Hogan era, looking back at it, really started that day. And never kind of uh, ended until basically 93. I know originally I was talking about how it was really 1992, April of 92, because he kind of takes a little bit of hiatus after that. But just for the sake of this, and, and uh, Michael Jargo, who's been a guest host on the show a few times, he said, really, the end of the Hogan era should be 1993 when he leaves. So I, I think that's fair. And I think it's OK to change it, to say that and to say, OK, so from 84 to 93. So Hogan era begins here. And this is the precipice. This is the beginning of the Hulkamania Era. This is the beginning of the Hogan era and really the the impetus of, of why I wanted to do this podcast in the first place. So we got the Hulkster. He's the champion. The crowd's absolutely loving it. MSG is the obviously the right place. This was the right time. Sheik ends up only holding the WWF title for 28 days. Another transitional champion. It's just the way the model was kind of set by Vince Senior, and it really worked. So Buddy Rogers wins the initial title, kind of just a transitional champion. Bruno holds it forever. Ivan Koloff wins it from him. He's the transitional champion. Pedro Morales holds it for a long time. Stasiak then beats him, and he's the transitional champion. Then Superstar Billy Graham, it, I guess, well, of course, then Bruno wins it back. But then Superstar Billy Graham beats Bruno, and like I said, for 300 days, is not really transitional. But it almost felt that way in that era because everyone's holding the title for 1,000 days. Back on Holter for 2,000 days. And then Sheiky Baby, again, another transitional champion, Holter for 28 days. Iron Sheik makes the claim, and I kind of say it as well, he's the most important transitional champion. Because if you think about it, it's a very, very prestigious title, obviously. The number one wrestling organization in the world. Iron Sheik comes along and beats Bob Backlund for it. He's absolutely hated. They want that title off of him. The big baby face, the new star comes into town, Hulk Hogan. And there's no place but up. He beats Sheik. And if you okay, if Hogan comes in and beats somebody that's not hated, a person that's not important, somebody that you, you almost forget, it, it doesn't really mean as much. But if you beat Iron Sheik, who's absolutely hated, who has a big name at this point, who's a big star, then it means something. Then you become a very, very important transitional champion. So Sheik, if you think about it, really ushered in the Hogan era. I mean, by being that crazy heel by being just that total anti-american by being the guy that beat the 2000 title reign of bob Backlund and becomes the new champion 
it meant something, it meant a lot. And the fans, especially in MSG, were really raucous and really wanting Shiki Baby to lose. It's one of those things where it's like, man, we hate that guy and we love to hate him, but we just absolutely just do not like him. There's no likable qualities at all. There's just nothing to grasp onto that we even like a little bit about Sheik. So he was the perfect guy for the Hogan era to begin. And if you think about it, The Rock says it too. If you go back to very, very recently, he said it on social media and in, in, in interviews, they said, hey, what was the, the greatest match ever in WB history? And he said, and I love how he kind of changed it a little bit, but he's kept to the answer. He said the 1984 clash between Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik at MSG is the greatest ever in WB history. And then he threw in there, it was the most important. It was that pivotal turn in the business. It was that pivotal easy for me to say pivotal change in the business that was needed at that point. You went away from the Vince McMahon senior days. Vince McMahon Jr. is there. He doesn't think Backlund fits his view and, and what he thinks of the future of the company. He really thinks that Hulk Hogan is the guy, is the, the man to lead what he thinks, what his vision of the WBF is, what he thinks the future of professional wrestling is and how he's going to change it into sports entertainment. You need that guy. You need that, that really that tent pole. You need that strong force who is going to be it. And he sees Hogan, but if Hogan just comes in and wins the title and beats nobody, it's not as important. It doesn't, you don't not feeling the emotion as much and you weren't as invested as you are. If he beats that nasty a-hole, Iron Sheik. So he beats Sheiky Baby. He becomes a champion. January 23rd, 1984. The Hogan era has begun. Hulkamania is here, as Gorilla Monsoon said. And the very important transitional champion, Iron Sheik, loses. So MSG is just the perfect place for that, obviously. I mean, that that it's obviously where a lot of the title chains happen, but that's the home base. That is home, if you think about it, for the WWF for still to this day i mean you could say i know i knew japan and ring of honor a few years ago did somehow get in there and work at msg for the first time a rival organization had run there in 60 something years so the insanity of that is not lost on me but if you think about it who crazy that somebody else ran msg because that really is the wbf home and the wb home and obviously wb was there not that long ago and had a great sellout crowd with the return of brock lesnar and a nice little rating pop too so what do you want from the cheeky baby? He's the, that first big villain for the Hulks to, to beat. There's strong USA patriotism going on right here. There's no doubt about that. Cheeky, like I said, great transitional champion to go into the Hogan era, to go into what Vince sees. Vince wants to get into dolls. Vince wants to get into cartoons. Vince wants to get into licensing. Vince wants to get into merchandise. Sheik is great to have as far as, okay, I got my Hogan guy. Uh, who is he going to beat up? Who's you know who's a great villain for him to beat up? Who's a great toy for me to play with and have all the scratches on it? If you remember the old LJNs, you know my Piper is really beat up, my Jesse Ventura is beat up, my Sheik was really really beat up. So if you just think back of just when you're a kid, and it's like yes, my Hogan doll had a uh, really warped right hand from beating up the other doll, who was usually the villain, the heel, usually Sheik, Piper, Ventura, guys that ilk. And that's what Vince wanted. He want, knew that the money was there. And it is ingenious because if you think about it today, it's like, oh, obviously, right? But back then, the wrestling business, they weren't thinking like that. And they weren't thinking about all the dolls and the toys and the uh, licensing and the merchandising. Really, Vince set that off. He very much is a genius in that sense because 
he knew that was a market that was untapped. He was going to go for the younger fans. He was going to go for the families. He was going to go for the more sports entertainment. Obviously, there's other reasons because the commissions, if you're pro wrestling and they think it's a real sport, you're going to have to pay them. And Vince wanted a way around of you know saving some money and not having to pay them. Didn't think that was right. Didn't think there was any sense in that so hey let's be sports entertainment let's not be pro wrestling and let's go in this direction this this uh era let's go in a completely different direction here so he you know gets a lot of heat obviously because a lot of the people say and even me still today will say yeah i'd like to call pro wrestling i'm not i don't know if i'm really a big fan of calling it sports entertainment or anything like that so Yes, I know that's the, the WB term, and that's what Vince wanted, and that's what launched him into the stratosphere. But to me, it is still pro wrestling. Let's be honest here. And that was just Vince's way of skirting around things. But he obviously had, had a vision of what he wanted. And when you get the toy line with LJN, which made millions of dollars. I mean, these guys are talking about cashing $80,000 checks, and they're only getting a few cents on the doll if you're a lower-tier guy. And then you're talking about a little bit a higher guy like uh, Hillbilly Jim, who's not really high in the card, but a little bit higher than maybe let's say an Outback Jack or something like that. He's getting an $80,000 check and Iron Sheik's talking about a $100,000 check and Hogan making a million dollars off LJNs and figures. It's just nuts. So it's like, where does Vince want to go from here? He wants to get into rock and wrestling. He wants to do the cartoons. He just wants to do all the, the t-shirts and, and you know fanny packs and, and cut off tees and headbands. And, and and wristbands and all this other stuff and get into everything else of how to make money from wrestling through merchandising and licensing. It's just home run. Great idea. How do you do that? How do you really start that Hogan era? You do it with Hulk Hogan defeating Iron Sheik right then and there in 84 at MSG. That was really the, the, it was the launching pad. It was the starting point and they really didn't look back from there, just kept climbing and climbing. And obviously we've talked about it in a previous episode Roddy Piper was that next perfect heel to really, really launch it and really get people going and just absolutely hate that guy. Hogan needed to shut him up. Perfect foil for the Hulkster. Here, obviously, the first foil for Hogan. I mean, you need that starting point. You need that launching pad. And Sheik really was the launching pad. So it beats him here. They have a rematch in Boston Gardens in February. The it's really a death match too. It was really one of those Texas death matches where it's going to get a little bloody. It's going to get a little bit more brutal. It's going to be a little bit of a different match than we saw at MSG where Hogan got put in the camel clutch. He gets out of it. It's only about a six minute match. He gets out of that camel clutch, breaks, you know, breaks the hold, hits the leg drop. One, two, three, it's over. It's going to be a little bit different match with the Texas death match. You're going to see a little bit more blood, a little bit more guts, but Hulkster will inevitably prevail in about nine minutes so then it's almost one of those things where it's like okay how can we keep kind of cashing in because Sheiky baby's still hot yes he lost and and obviously for the boston fans he's going to lose the boston gardens and you're going to remember that but he's not quite done that you know he's not quite done yet it's not one of those kind of things where you're going to throw him off the wayside quite quite yet because you got a, a bit more touring to do you're going to go to pittsburgh at the civic arena you're going to sell out over there you're going to have the Hulkster go go over there. Then you're going to go to a bit of a home base for them, like Capital Center in Landover, Maryland. Hogan's going to beat him by DQ on March 4th. Then on March 10th, Hogan's going to beat him on DQ again at the sports arena out there in LA. Then 
in May, they're going to have another match, and it's going to go to a double countout on Prism Network at the Philly Spectrum in Philadelphia, PA. They're going to have another match in later in May, May 24th to be exact. They're going to be a countout. So they're kind of keeping Sheiky Baby strong for a certain period of time until June, June 2nd, 1984. You're going to have a big rematch at the Philly Spectrum, which is a huge venue for them on the Prism Network, and Hogan is going to defeat Cheeky Baby in about eight minutes. So, I mean, it's one of those things where, it's at that, especially at that point, you could still make money off the feud. You could still travel. You could still hit the big markets like Boston and Pittsburgh and Maryland, which is obviously the D.C. area of Landover. You could still go back to Philly and sell out. You go to Columbus, Ohio. You can go to L.A. and sell out. Shiki Baby was still over and still hated, and you could still get miles out of the feud, even though Hogan was champion. WWF didn't believe in the chase. And I know that was a big thing with a lot of different organizations. And eventually, even with Steve Austin, they do a bit of a chase where it's almost like, okay, we could probably make more money with the guy chasing. Vince Sr. and t- at this point, or very early on, Vince Jr. did not have that same idea. They wanted their babyface champion to be champ for a long time. And this Hogan era that begins in January 23rd, 1984, like we talked about on episode number two with Andre, the title run goes 1,474 days, and Andre beats him in February 5th, 1988. A lot of controversy. Earl Hebner is involved, obviously, as double referee. He was a uh, twin referee. He was bribed by Ted DiBiase, and Hogan ends up getting screwed with the three count on the main event, which was seen by about 33 million people back in 1988. But just to show you, he's a champ, basically, from 1984 to 1988. So it's a long title run. There's no chase involved. He liked to have the babyface champions, like I mentioned with Morales and Bruno and Backlund be the champ for a long time. And that's the way business was conducted then for WWF. And it made them a ton of money because, you know, as a fan too, I mean, Hulk is the immortal one. You don't want to see him lose. Yes, there's great challengers like Sheik, but you don't want to see him not be the WWF champion. So they're going to have a match at the War Memorial Auditorium in Rochester. Hogan's going to win there. You're going to go again to Madison Square Garden in December, which is the great if you still they still try to do it today the end of december tour at msg and hogan defeats chic baby again match is a shorter match only about three minutes or so uh the beginning of 1985 they go to utah hogan wins again then dallas hogan wins again then houston hogan wins all the way they will face face each other again at a house show in denver colorado in july of 85 then they'll face each other again in march of 86 Hogan winning, obviously, both of those. You go again to September of 86, and he'll beat him at the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee. Then, really, the last time they faced was a tag match in 1987. Hogan and Jim Duggan defeat Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik in the Civic Center in Providence, Rhode Island. So after really 84 and the beginning 85, the feud really, really slows down, and there's not that much of a feud at all. And Hogan's just beating him at house shows because you need a strong main event guy. You need a strong opponent for Hulkster to headline these shows and sell them out. When they go to MSG, it's really big. Basically, at this point, it's a bit bigger of a setup for MSG. About 26,000 people could fit in MSG at this point. And Hogan is selling it out quite regularly, especially January of 1984, when they were really, really clamoring to have Sheiky Baby lose the title and no longer be champion. And when you think about, okay, big sellout, big show. AWA loses Hogan to WWF. There's this big buzz around Hulkster. Thunder Lips, like I mentioned, Rocky Three, 
a lot of energy and focus and everyone's thinking about the Hulkster and they want him and they want this era. He's going to be champion, but there's a little bit of a thing that came out and it's been story that's been out there for a long time. Not until really recently it was debunked and said it was not true. And who knows if it is or isn't, but Iron Sheik forever has, has said that before the match at MSG, Vern Gagne gives him a call who obviously he knew because he trained him back in, in the 70s in the AWA in Minnesota. And that's where Sheiky Baby emanated from as far as being a pro wrestler. Vern Gagne supposedly gives him a call and he says, hey, Sheik, I know Hogan is supposed to be the big star and the big era, but I'll give you $100,000 to break his leg and, and not lose. Because we know that this Hogan era is going to be a huge boom. We know it's going to kill the rest of the business for all the other territories. We know if Hogan's the champion, we, we saw it here. He's a huge draw. If he's the champion in the biggest promotion in the world, he's going to even be an even bigger draw. He's going to be an even bigger star. So, man, uh, you know, a bit of a mistake there by the AWA. And Vince scoops him up and takes him and really makes him a gigantic start. The real mistake, if you think about it from the beginning, was Vince Sr. even letting him go and, and not being happy with him doing Rocky. So, yeah, it's kind of uh, a, a McMahon's fault to begin with. But Vern didn't see it. It kind of teases him winning the title. He wins it. Then they have to give it back to Bockwinkle. I mean, it, it was a bit of a debacle over there in the AWA as far as the handling of Hogan. He didn't see the potential in Hogan for whatever reason as being the star of the territory or being his big gigantic star. He wanted old school ways where the, you know, maybe the heel champion or, or a or more of a wrestling champion, more of a worker champion, but Vince McMahon saw it a different way. And if you think about it, okay, is Hogan a good worker? Is he not? And that, I'm talking about specifically in ring. And to me, I think he can carry himself just fine. He's a good worker. You've seen him carry guys in matches. You've seen him have good matches everywhere. Uh, I think at that, he can't wrestle thing. It's just laughable and, and just ridiculous. The guy can do more with a finger point or a punch than anybody else can do with like a crazy maneuver or a, a dive or a flip or a Canadian destroyer or whatever you want to say. It was just Hogan didn't need to do all that. If you're over with a punch, why, you know, why do you need to do a flip off the top or, or do something that's out of character or something you don't need to stick to your strengths, keep it simple Give the fans what they want. Hogan always did that, and and he was a really good worker. He was a strong worker. If you're having a good match with you know anybody, okay, you bring Doctor D. David Schultz. He's having a good match. Or Bob Orton Jr., Funk, Piper, Sheik, Andre, Savage, uh, Bad News Brown. I mean, the guy had literally had a good match with everybody. Kamala, one man gang, big boss man. Um, it's just silly to think like, okay, that guy's not a good worker. He could literally have a good match with anybody. So it's just absolutely silly. And if you go to the old Bobby Heenan quote, he said a good worker, somebody that can put an ass basically every 16 inches uh, in, in that seat. And Hogan was the best at it. So he said, if you go by ticket sales and stuff like that and being over and making money, Hogan's the best worker. Because who did everybody want to work with? Hogan. Who's the big star of the day? Hogan. Who's the one lining Vince McMahon's pocket and everybody else's pocket? Hogan. Sure, Vince gave him the platform and he gave him the push and, and all that and all that stuff. Yes, I get that, obviously. But Hogan is the guy that set that off. If you put another guy in that spot, it's not going to work. Yes, it, it could have got a pop for beating Sheik because he was so hated, but it's not going to take you where you want to go. It's not going to take you into the next stratosphere. It's not going to bring you the, the LJNs and the cartoons and the NBC network deal 
and the huge ratings and the huge amount of money coming in, you're not going to be able to get and the appearances on all these talk shows and, and all this mainstream stuff, Saturday Night Live and everything else. You're not going to Sports Illustrated covers. You're not going to get that without Hulk Hogan. So you need the Hulkster. Everybody else, like I said this before, everybody else seems to fall into place when Hogan's at the top of the mountain. Okay, you take Hogan away. Oh, maybe you could put Andre or Piper or Savage or, or Warrior eventually or somebody on top of the mountain. It just doesn't quite work as well as when Hogan's on top of the mountain and all those guys are under him. They're all amazing. They're all great in their own right. But it just works so much better with Hogan as the top of that mountain. Just perfectly is going to be executed as far as the rest of the card when you have a draw like that, a star like that, a guy with that much charisma, that much drawing power at the top of your card. is just nuts. So... Sheik is offered money, supposedly, to end Hulkamania kind of before it starts. It's really, this is going to be the start of Hulkamania. It's what supposedly Vern Gagne feared. But in a recent interview, Greg Gagne has said that uh, absolutely not true. That's just completely made up. It's one of the stories that's more myth than anything, more wrestling lore. So is it believable? Sure. Is it also believable that Sheik made it up? That's possible as well, because it's one of those great wrestling fantasy tales where you don't know if it's fact or fiction, and you just kind of go with it. And, you know, people bought it for forever. It's one of those things where if, if you think it happened, it, it maybe it did happen. Maybe it is true. But Greg Gagne is saying, no, Sheik made that whole thing up. Um, it's one of the things where you just, you know, you, you watch it online from Greg Gagne, and you think to yourself, okay, maybe it is maybe he has some validity there maybe it is true maybe it is just one of those things like yeah it sounds a bit far-fetched when you think about it looking back um why would my dad do that um i just don't believe it and then he even says that Vern never did that this is completely true even though Vern did start cheeky baby in the business there was no call and you know Vern supported him through his olympic and the pan am pan am game so they were close but um he, he is, there's just no way that that's possible. If you just think even even for, further back, Iron Sheik has said that Greg Gagne's mom, Vern Gagne's wife, actually was the one that gave him the name the Iron Sheik. And then to do the Iranian thing, since he was Iranian board, to do that gimmick um, is just like the way to go. And eventually Vern would kind of send Sheik, Sheik Baby over to the WWE. So... Uh, you know, who knows what's true and what's not true as far as that story. Um, Hogan believed it was true. There was the $100,000 bounty to break his leg. Obviously, Sheik did not do that, even though he was instructed to do it and, and would have got paid to do so, according to him. He just didn't want to do it. He didn't think it was right. He thought that you do business the right way. This was the right thing to do for the business. And it really was to lose to Hogan straight up, create Hulkamania, create this Hogan era, and create the boom period. The wrestling but didn't see again till Hogan turned heel in 1996. So two boom periods were Hogan's. The NWO boom period and here with the Hulkamania era, the Hogan era. It's just uh, unbelievable to think what the Hulkster has been able to do. But without the Sheik, you know, who knows if it starts like that. If you, okay, maybe pick another heel or you pick somebody else. I don't know if it quite generates that type of fervor you know i just don't know if it it generates that type of popularity i don't know how kind of over it, it gets without iron Sheik being that first villain and iron Sheik obviously is a huge legend in wwf lore he really is just a, an absolute legend when you go back and you think about 
just that era and the stars. I have, you know, uncles and, and friends of mine who are older and just family member who's older saying, oh, like, oh, uh, wrestling, I don't watch it anymore. It's not as good as it once was. I loved it when Hulk Hogan was around. And I was like, oh, yeah, you remember the Iron Sheik? And I, oh, of course I remember the Iron Sheik. It's one of those things where you have, everyone remembers Iron Sheik and what a big influence he left on, on the business and what a big influence he was on the WWF and how he started the Hogan era. I mean, without Iron Sheik, I don't know if it gets launched into the big era that it becomes. Obviously, the WWF and Vince would launch WrestleMania soon thereafter with Hogan headlining. Really, if you think about it, Hogan headlined, headlined eight of the first nine shows and was the main focus point on nine out of nine of those shows. Um, think about the Hulkster and just if that didn't happen there, it's like, man, I wonder what happens to WWF. I wonder what happens to Hulk. It's just one of those things where everything, the stars aligned that night. It was absolutely perfect on January 23rd, 1984 for Hogan to escape that camel clutch, hit that leg drop and to become the WWF champion and set off the wrestling business to the likes of which we've never seen before and never have seen since. But WWF's making billion dollar deals now. They're making so much money. Saudi Arabia, Peacock, Fox, NBC, USA, all these amazing deals. And it's really because of Hulk. The library is worth so much because of Hulk. The business, the WWF has that name because of Hulk. The, everything that you think, like, okay, you can give Vince all this credit, and obviously you got to give Steve Austin a lot of credit for, for kind of taking away that WCW audience from the NWO and creating that big attitude ever boom that they kind of took. But it really, that was piggybacked off of Hogan and the NWO. But you got to give Vince, obviously, a ton of credit. He's been able to make all these billion-dollar deals today. But without Hogan and that era then, I don't think you're going to see that ever now. I don't think you see the billion dollars. I don't think you see all that money and all that success and all that fame for the WWF because without that huge era, it's like no starting point. There's really nothing to kind of base it off of. So to me, it's like Hogan is everything. Hogan is the God of wrestling. Hogan is the Babe Ruth of wrestling to me. And you got to think Iron Sheik is uh, just up there as just the guy that launched Hogan into the stratosphere. So, Great episode this week. I feel like Iron Sheik is a guy you cannot forget when you're thinking about the Hogan era, when you're thinking about WBF in that time period, when you're thinking about that boom, you have to think of the big heels of the day and Iron Sheik better stick out there like a, like a sore thumb because Sheiky Baby was very important to that era. You had Piper. You had Andre. You had all these other guys come along. But who started it was the Iron Sheik, the former WWF champion. He eventually became tag champion with Nikolai Volkov and, of course, a WWF Hall of Famer back in 2005. So let's head over to the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website TMPTEmpire.com and, of course, Patreon, patreon.com slash TMPTEmpire. Got so many good things going on on that patreon i feel like it's uh under the radar a little bit i know we got um, a bunch of patrons on there thank you so much guys i love you guys and thank you for supporting two-man power trip but uh, i feel like it's uh, almost under the radar a little bit maybe uh, maybe we should get some more patrons over there because there's so much i mean you got all the dr tom stuff all the kevin sullivan stuff touch man tell 
JJ Dillon, got the Trump Mania podcast. You got old old school interviews that I have up there. Honky Tonk Man, even a newer one with Cody Rhodes. A bunch of good stuff with Cornette. Uh, I feel like you definitely, definitely need to tap into Patreon. Patreon.com slash TNPT Empire. And of course, go to T Public. You want to buy a cool t shirt? They always have great sales. I mean, you could buy an awesome two man power trip of wrestling t shirt for i think it's like 13 dollars or something when it's on sale i mean they got really great offers and great sales and the quality is great i love the soft tees they're unbelievable so that is go to t public t-e-e-p-u-b-l-i-c tpublic.com and type in t-m-p-t for the two-man power trip so that's all for this week on the hogan era podcast I'd like to thank everybody for listening and tuning in we'll see you right back here next week for a little bit of the hogan era podcast see you next week folks this has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.